0: And I think that's what foster parents have to realize. Just let that kid be them. That's good enough. That's who God, God is going to shape them to who they're meant to be. Not you. Not you. There's absolutely nothing you can do to shape that child from what God intended that child to be. You're a vessel. This is the
1: Foster Movement Podcast helping you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Here are your hosts, Jason Weber and Diego Fuller.
2: Hey, this is Jason Weber. Welcome to the Foster Movement Podcast. I'm here with Diego Fuller. Hey, Diego.
3: What's up, Jason? How you doing today? I'm
2: good. How are you? Man, I am doing really, really good today. So, Diego, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Are you afraid of stuff in the ocean? Yeah, if I can't see what's under there. (laughs) (laughs) So, my family, we recently went to the ocean, and you know they have the flags right. they tell you how big the surf is and whether uh-huh. it's dangerous or not you know the green and the yellow and the red but then they have the purple flag Right. Right. and if the purple flag is out it means that you know like there's wildlife that mm-hmm. they've spotted and I gotta be honest like when I go to the beach and the purple flag is up like I feel like there needs to be more than just one purple <laughs> flag like, they need to be more specific because right. I, I'm just wondering are we talking about like little cute crabs right. and And little small fish and stuff like that. Are we talking about Jaws is under there, right? Right, right. (laughs) Like one purple flag does not cover all of the stuff. Right. It's really under there. It's really under there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. So, uh, yeah. So I'm out there and, you know, you you just think about it a lot. Right. Right. And and what's under the surface when you're at the beach uh, in the ocean What's under the surface is important. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's. It's very important,
3: especially uh, if you can't, you can't see it.
2: Yeah. 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 So it's yeah. important to know what's, what's up and, under there. <laughs> and, and, what's under there can drive your behavior, right? Because if you think. Oh, yeah. If there's stuff that you think is under there. Um, yeah. It can, you, you act in fear, you do things differently, right. you, you know.
3: And sometimes you may feel something like cross your feet and it may scare oh. you and it's nothing but a leaf, <laughs> leaf or something. And yeah, you try to run it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah, it
3: can embarrass you too. Yeah, so it's good to know
2: what's what's under the surface. <laughs> yeah, the last thing you want to feel when you're standing in the ocean is something cold brush up against you. Oh <laughs> up man, against your leg. Yeah, yeah. Well, today that's what we're going to be talking about is. The stuff that's under the surface that that drives us. We have uh, uh, had the chance to talk to Joe Rogers, uh, who is a great man who uh, spent time in foster care. and His story is really unique, but one of the things uh, he talks about is um, the chaos that he lived with at the Mm -hmm. beginning of his life Mm -hmm. and how that has had an effect on him going forward how's that right. how that's had an effect on him as an adult and in married life right. uh, and then we're going to get into uh, talking about what's under the surface when it comes to our motivations. You know, we just started this series, uh, as a part of this podcast, and this is the second one in a series that we're calling it the foster journey. So we're walking through a number of episodes that are going to talk about what is that journey when you're considering becoming a foster parent. Mm -hmm. And so for our listeners, some of our listeners are in that journey. Some of our listeners walk other people through that journey. So it's valuable for both. Um, but we're going to be talking uh, to a very special guest in the second half. Uh, <laughs> you would say that. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, my, my bride, uh, Trisha Weber. Uh, and she's fantastic at helping us think through the, the questions we ought to be asking ourselves as we think about what's under the surface right. when we're considering foster care. So let's get to it. Let's go uh, to that interview with Joe Rogers. with Joe Rogers in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hello, Joe. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. So, Joe, uh, can you share with us a little bit about uh, your pathway to foster care? Your pathway was a little bit unusual.
0: Right. uh, So could you share with us about that? So, um, you know, it's not the traditional way where most kids get in the foster care program. I was fortunate in that my foster mother... A lady named Linda Alexander at the time, Linda Sloan now, um, she got her foster license strictly for me. Um, I was born in Sierra Leone, West Africa, came to the States around the age of maybe six or seven, uh, landed in San Francisco, went from San Francisco to Jersey, Jersey to Charlotte. um, And at the time I was living with my father, um, who for all intents and purposes did the best he could with what he had. We were very for lack of a better word, ish when we were younger, right? We right. moved from one location <laughs> to the next. And um, when we landed in in Charlotte, it was always this aspect of I would stay with one family for a period of time, then another family, then another, another family. Um, so I, I got lucky when I landed um, with my foster mother, who was married at the time, because her husband was working at a gas station where my father was working and, you know, my dad needed help. And so her ex husband William basically said, who I'm very grateful to as well, said, Hey, you know, I got I've got two boys, you know, they can come hang out with my boys for a while while you get things situated. So that led to probably one of the greatest times of my life that I can remember, right? It was the first time that I think I actually, and a lot of people take it for granted, I know my son takes it for granted, and I actually had a bed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you... So prior to that, you didn't... Oh, no, prior to that, I mean, we you slept on floors, hotel room floors, you slept in, you know, other people's houses, it, it was never your own. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's the that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand about what's important to children in foster care, right? It's, 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 it's the aspect of ownership. Hmm. Right ownership from the, from the standpoint of you belong to somebody and somebody takes accountability for you and they they not own you in a slavers kind of way but own you in your love your affection your your desires and and you know there's this reciprocal act there right so that tends to put you in a different state of mind a different you know mentality and it gives you a sense of stability so having my own bed um, symbolized to me that I. I, I belonged to somebody, finally. So things felt
2: pretty chaotic before you went to that home.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It did. It, 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 it did. You know, and and, and ironically, um, my wife and I talk about that a lot in the standpoint of I, I, I operate my best in chaos. Hmm. I operate absolutely my best in chaos. When when things get too dormant and too easy, or just feel like it's not moving on, I I, I tend to get nervous in it, right? Hmm. Um, and and I you know I've learned after you know some going through therapy that that's a byproduct of just how I was raised in that constant chaotic state of of not realizing that you know things aren't always going to go bad, hmm. right? And it's a it's a hard is a hard mindset to let go of, right? Even today, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm always constantly in this state of like, okay, this is good now, but let's not get too comfortable because it might not last, right? Um, which, which, to be frank, which has also been a challenge in my marriage, and we, we we've kind of had to work through that a little bit, right? And and I had to get to the point to it, it being in foster care um, has its goods and its bad, right? The 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 good is that for a child you're safe for the first time in your life right the bad about it is the trauma that child faced prior to that you really can't quantify or understand that impact to them to, and they don't quantify can't quantify or understand that impact to them until much later in life I mean here I am at 38 um, and didn't realize what that meant to me Uh, what my trauma prior to foster care, man, I want to clearly, and I want to delineate, my time in foster care was fantastic. It's the time prior, right, that was the impact, um, and it came to fruition when my brother passed last year, and this is my foster brother, Mm. like my biological brother, right, Um, when he passed last year, because he symbolized stability, him and my mom symbolized stability, Right? So when he passed, it brought up all these emotions again of loss, right? Oh my God, somebody's left me again. I'm, I'm out here by myself again, type of deal. And you just never really quite understand that impact uh, of so it. So it, it can, so that's the, in, in my, my mind, that can be the bad, right? right? Um, but I don't think, in, 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 in a very weird way, in a conundrum kind of way, I think that's a good bad right because it's a is an aspect of now you've gone from you you kind of transition through life right you've gone from this phase early on where everything was unsure everything was unstable you didn't know where your next meal was going to come from your house going to come from that type of deal then you get into this loving environment and for the first time you understand what it means to truly be a part of a family right to not be seen as an outcast to be really received internally um And then you kind of get to that later on phase in your life where you're married and, you know, you have children and, you know, you're trying to create a sense of stability for them. And then loss happens again and you haven't had to deal with loss of that magnitude in 30 plus years or 20 plus years. You know what I mean? So that 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 kind of makes you feel both saddened but appreciative because you, you can take a step back and remove yourself out the picture, so to speak, and see the picture holistically and say to yourself, like, man, I've had an opportunity to, to finally know what love is and be loved and appreciate love and the people who are around me genuinely love me. And I'm grieving so hard, not because I'm grieving out of chaos, but I'm grieving from the standpoint of I'm saddened by the loss of love hmm. as opposed to saddened by the search for love. Wow.
2: Wow. Did you find, as a teenager, that you sometimes tried to create chaos because it was a more comfortable place
0: for you to be? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) if you ever talk to my mother, and and my my, my mother, I love her to death, and her first thing she'll say to you is, Joe is terrible she, she, she would unequivocally say to you like, "Oh my God, he was such a terrible child." And she'll um, say that in absolute love right? out of absolute love right because <laughs> she and I think you know and I challenge anybody who makes the conscientious, spiritual, loving whatever guides you to the decision to foster, right mm-hmm. to go with it from the standpoint of this is my child. Regardless of how this child acts or comes, this is my child. I'm going to give this child the same level of grace and love as I would give a natural born child of my own. So I think that's one of the things for her that that I was appreciated was that here she is, you know, with three boys, rambunctious little boys, um, two of her own, and one who just came into her home. And the one who just came into her own Is, you know, a pretty rough Around the edges kid <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, so I, I think, you know, my, my middle brother uh, And one used to always laugh Because um, he's like, man, there's two Joes And she's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, there's the Joe that mama sees Who she thinks is good But then there's the Joe that's really bad as hell, right? <laughs> and so it took her a while to finally see like Okay, we got to really put some extra love in, into Joe Right? And, and, and so... I used to, at school, it was always, I, w- I, w- I was show out of school. I was absolutely show out of school. From elementary to middle school, I was show out of school. Um, because those were the, those, that was the time frame where everything was in flux, right? So, you know, I never felt, you know, dude, from second grade till, call it fifth grade, I attended five elementary schools. Five. So wow. just think about that from the standpoint of quality of education and stability, right? So you can never really get connected to that school community, right? You can never build a relationship with your other students, other students who are there because you don't know how long you're going to be there, right? So there's this transient phase, consistent shifting and changing and moving that, you know, just puts you in a state of aloneness. You're your own. Kill anybody in. And the minute somebody wants to get in, you push off, right? Um, you're fighting for attention. Right. Because you're fighting for attention from the standpoint of you're always trying to prove yourself. Right. So you're dealing with issues that in your mind, other kids in your classroom or your grade level teachers can't remotely comprehend.
2: Wow. Yeah. So a lot of folks that are listening to this podcast are foster parents. And I imagine that they would be very interested to know. What are some things that your mom just did really well? Things that she just got, she understood um, intuitively or she got, you know, that information from other people, but
0: she did well. She didn't treat me different. I, I wasn't a charity case. I wasn't a special needs kid. I wasn't somebody she had to put up on a pedestal you know it wasn't about her you know it wasn't about me I was just there and I I think that's the that's the most important thing that that I would advice I would give to any foster parent don't treat your child any different than you would treat any other child that's yours just let them be let them be their own person let them evolve let them grow discipline them when you have to discipline them you know when I did something wrong I was I was disciplined and I welcomed the discipline. And I legitimately started shifting my behavior at school. I started shifting my mindset. I started shifting how I, I interacted. I went from one foot out the door and one foot in to both feet in. So now you are an entrepreneur? hmm You? Well, I'm a full-time employee, so I, so I part-time entrepreneur. Okay. <laughs> <All> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Good. So you
2: you sort of combined the the predictable nature of, of being a full time employee with the chaos yeah. of being an entrepreneur, right. Keep, right? Keeping things hopping still,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's something. And you know, um, and I just recently went back to the workforce. I, I did do the entrepreneurship thing for about a year and a half, and that was a that was a that was a hard lesson. That was a hard lesson. Um, so. When I look back at my childhood, prior, pre-foster care, you know, during foster care, post-foster care, um, there hasn't been a single aspect of my life I can say I have regret about. No matter, no matter how bad, no matter how good, um, no matter how chaotic, because I think I think the Most High has a way of teaching us, right? And I think God's way of teaching us is to put us through the fire. And I think we stay in the fire or we stay through the trials until we learn. The minute you learn, you're out of it, right? Um, and that lesson is, is hard for people to understand sometimes, right? So we we we're always in this constant space of looking for, you know, our definition of that lesson, our definition of that answer, right? And I know my mother used to always tell me, she said, "Sometimes you got to be quiet because one I was a talkative kid. So I think it was, it was a two-point to that statement she made to me all the time. <laughs> one was you got to be quiet, and you got to listen, and you got to listen for God's angels to give you the answer, right? Um, because we're we're always just searching, and we're searching, and we're searching, and we're searching, and you know, to to my wife's point, sometimes that searching doesn't have to be that hard." Mm-hmm it's just right there but you got to be willing to get away from yourself and give of yourself right so if i would if i tie this back to your original question about my mother's secret sauce i think she just knew the answer was right there she didn't have to go searching for it she she's all she always says she says everything i've ever needed god has provided but even through it all man i think you i i see her through all her faults i see her faults um I see her greatness, um, I see her challenges, I see her deficiencies, but that's just her, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's what she did with me. She was just like, I see you, right? I see you.'t you I do don't, don't have to be anybody else. And she's telling me that all the time I'm about the cry. She's telling me that all the time. she said, "Just be Joe." I said, "Just be Joe." She used to tell me Count to ten Then be Joe Because I would react too quickly (laughs) 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 But but Just be Joe That's all I can be And that's good enough And I think that's what Foster parents have to realize Just let that kid be them That's good enough That's who God God is going to shape them To who they're meant to be Not you Not you There's absolutely nothing You can do to shape that child From what God intends that child to be you're a vessel. Let God use you to, sh- to help be God's vessel. I think that's all my mom did. When, if you ask her, like, if she was in South Africa, I'd call her right now, and you ask her, what did she do? She'd be like, I didn't do anything, God did it. That's all she ever said. She said, I didn't do anything at all, it was all God. Thank you, Joe, for talking to us. No problem. Had a great time.
2: So, yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation with Joe. I loved how transparent he was and how he talked about the things that were under the surface for him, mm-hmm. the, the chaos that he lived through uh, the first several years of his life and how that's bled over into other areas of his life, right. even as a, an adult married man uh, right. with a family.
3: And I like one thing that he said about, um, about his foster mom, that basically she didn't have to do anything specific, you know, just... Just see him. And that was just, that was enough for him. And I just thought that was like just really powerful. Uh, I think that's part of just like, that's even doing more than enough, just making sure you see the kid.
2: Yeah. And it's not easy, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's, uh, not at all. It, we think that we see our kids, but sometimes we're missing stuff. Exactly. We're missing a lot. Exactly. Of stuff about yeah. who they are. So yeah. yeah, really powerful insights. Well, I'm excited to, um, to, to get to talk about, you know, the motives that we have as we go into foster parenting Mm -hmm. and we'll get a chance to hear the interview that I had with, uh, with my wife, Tricia. Um, but before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about something that is brand new. It is so exciting and we want to make sure our listeners know about it, uh, can respond to it. Um, there have been a number of organizations that have gotten together, have been planning and talking for many months now, Mm Uh, about a national coordinated effort related to foster care you know if you've listened to this podcast any amount of time you know we often talk about you know we use that phrase more than enough right we use it at the end of every podcast um (laughs) but you know the reality is is that us seeking more than enough for kids in foster care and families uh that's not just a this is not just a motto right that's exactly. something we really believe is possible amen yeah. and so these organizations uh, a number of them from around the country have gotten together and say and have asked the question what would it take for us actually to get to more than enough mm-hmm. in this country mm-hmm. and The conclusion we've come to is we believe that uh, if we can get 10% of churches in every county in the country actively engaged in foster care, we believe that that is enough for more than enough. And so our goal is to see... That happened. 10% of churches in every county actively engaged in foster care by 2025. Yes, We have a website that we'd love to have you visit. Come sign the declaration. When you sign the More Than Enough declaration, you're saying three things. You're saying, I believe it's possible. I will do my part, Mm -hmm. and we will do it together. And there's more explanation about that there. That's morethanenoughtogether.org. Yes. So check it out. Let us know that you're in. All right, so let's, uh, with that, let's move on to our interview with the lovely. Oh,
3: that's so
2: cute. <laughs> Trisha Webber. <laughs> Here we go. Now, I will note, you know, you'll notice right away that uh, she doesn't sound too excited at the beginning about this process, right? Um, Because getting on a microphone is probably not in the top 10 things that she's seeking to do uh, in her life. Uh, But she is, every time she does, uh, she speaks to groups of people. She talks to to families. She gets on a podcast. She's amazing. And you'll hear that. So let's hear my interview with my bride. I am here with the amazingly beautiful and wise Trisha Weber. Hey, hon. How are you?
1: Hi, honey. I cannot believe you actually got me to do this.
2: (laughs) I can't either, but here we are. This is going to be great. So for the last few episodes, we have been doing a series called The Foster Journey where we're walking through the process and the feelings and the thoughts that go through people's minds when they are deciding to become a foster parent. Trisha and I were foster parents for 10 years and we saw kids come and go, but most of the kids that came through our home ended up staying and we adopted our five kids out of foster care. And through that process and after that process, uh, Trisha has had the opportunity to walk through this decision-making process with a lot of couples over the years. And so she is the perfect person to talk to us today about our topic, which is motivations. What motivates us to do foster care? And are there things we need to be asking ourselves about our motivations that will make us better foster parents in the long run? So thank you for being willing to do this against your better judgment. (laughs) So, um, you know, when you're sitting across from a couple, which you've done a lot of, and Uh, they come to you, what are some of the most common things that they tell you that they're thinking through?
1: I think couples get to the point where they're considering foster care through a number of different ways. Some couples are getting there because of infertility. Some are getting there because of the realization that God has called Christians to take care of kids in foster care. Some people are getting there um, maybe because they've met somebody at their school or a friend of a friend who's a foster child. So it really depends on where the couple's coming from and the journey that's gotten them to the point where they're asking the question.
2: Yeah. So let's start with that first one. Um, couples that are considering foster care who've experienced infertility. Uh, there are some unique considerations for couples like that. Uh, what are some of the questions you'd be asking? If I were sitting across from you and and uh, I were part of a couple that had experienced in infertility, what are the questions that you would want to ask to help them think through whether foster care is really for them?
1: The journey through infertility for a lot of couples is one of the hardest things they go through. So the first thing I want to know is how is the couple doing as a couple and their marriage? Because if a couple is going into foster care, they need to have... Um, They need to be at a strong place in their marriage because it's a difficult journey. Um, In addition, I'm going to want to know, have they worked through the grief? Um, If there is one or both members of the couple are grieving deeply, they're probably not ready to um, foster. It's It's also the same if a couple has just lost a child. Sometimes people get to foster because they've had a child die that there is a time and place that they could do foster care, but in those first couple years after a child's death is not the time, that they need to take the time to grieve and think through the loss and have made sure that they're really on the same page moving forward. Because when that child comes into your home, you want to be ready to love that child for who they are, not because they're your DNA, not because... They look like you or have the same interests as you or all of those hopes that sometimes even deepen as a couple goes through infertility, you need to be ready to accept a child for who that child is. So that I'm really gonna dive into where is that couple in their infertility journey?
2: I think one of the really important questions uh, we all have to ask ourselves is um what do I believe is best for children? Uh, sometimes we bring our worldview into foster care and we have a belief, uh, underlying belief. We don't even realize we have it right. Uh, about what is best for children in foster care? So, um, or what is, what do we believe is best for children in general? Maybe we carry in a mentality that, Hey, it's, it's much, much better for a child to grow up in a, a middle upper class, uh, environment than it is to grow up in a, in a poor community. Um, So like a belief like that, how would that then taint or alter somebody's uh, actions once they're foster parents?
1: I can give a personal example. I really value education. Um, And we had a foster child who was going... There was a biological relative who was willing to take the child, but she came from a very poor, very uneducated home. Um, She'd never... I don't even know if she'd finished middle school. Um, and the thought of this child growing up there was hard for me. But I knew she was going to be with her biological siblings. I knew she was going to be well-loved. She was going to be with her family. And so I had to advocate for that. But if, I, if my value of education trumped my value for her being with her biological siblings, I would have... There's a lot of things I could have done to sabotage that process, such as... Um, the caseworker in that case, um, hadn't called this biological relative back. And I was able to step in and advocate and say, Hey, this relative contacted us and would really like this child. And so I was able to work with the caseworker and the relative to make the whole process go smoother and quicker.
2: Yeah. That's a great example. That's a great example. Um, circling back to something we mentioned briefly earlier, this idea of, I want to do foster care because we want to adopt. Speak to that.
1: What we want parents' motivation going in is, I want what's best for this child. Um, And adoption may be what's best for that child, or it might not be. And so, again, you have to be very, very careful that as you're making decisions, that you're not taking your own desires and bias over what's best for the child. Um, it's okay to want to adopt. And we got into it. We said our commitment was we were going to foster any child, and if they could not return home, we were committed to adopting that child so the child would never have to make multiple transitions because I believe that these transitions are really hard on children. And so the fewer transitions, the better. So it's okay to, have, to want to adopt, but I was first and foremost committed to the redemption of the family, because that is what foster care is trying to achieve.
2: So one thing that we hear from couples quite a bit is this moves beyond whether we should foster or not and gets into what age of children should we foster Um, and those kinds of questions. They have biological kids. And one of the real strong tendencies for families is to say, hey, I have an eight-year-old. It would be great. If we were able to foster an eight-year-old so that they could be friends, they would have an instant friend built into the family. What are the questions you would ask a couple about that if you heard them say something to that effect?
1: And this has been one of maybe the surprising things as we've gotten into this. I've heard that more than I expected to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I would just have them really think through what it's like for both children, You have a child who's been the eight-year-old, the nine-year-old in the family, and all of a sudden somebody's coming in in the same grade, same year, same age. That can be very threatening to the biological child in the family. And then for the child who's coming in, they're in a sense, whether we like it or not, there is a competition that usually happens among siblings. There's a sorting of power, order, roles that naturally happen in a family. And you've got a child coming in who's the same age, who has had trauma, who's maybe not had the same educational opportunities or the same stable environment as a child in your home, and now they're expected—there's this comparison, 8-year-old to 8-year-old, 9-year-old to 9-year-old, where they're comparing themselves against each other, and that's really hard to live up to. And the other thing is kids who come from trauma are often developmentally a few years behind, And that will be glaringly obvious if two children of the same age are there. So it's not that two children of the same age can't ever be placed in the same house, but I would not ever go in with the expectation that they're going to be a playmate. Siblings, yes, but playmate, no. And to put that expectation and pressure on your biological child or the child coming into your home isn't fair to the children.
2: Yeah, well said. What are some other things that you tend to hear from couples when they're thinking about whether or not to foster?
1: I think one thing that um, in the Christian community specifically that we have seen an increasing motivation that maybe they see other people fostering or adopting, they hear from the pulpit that they should do this. And there's kind of this sense of, if I'm a good Christian, this is what I'm going to do. Hmm. But The problem with that isn't that people are trying to obey God or trying to do something good. The problem is when it becomes an obligation and the child becomes a checklist off on your spiritual development. It was real interesting this week. One of our daughters started at a new school and she does not know a soul. So at lunch, there was a team of kids who were supposed to go around and greet the newcomers, which sounds hmm. like a marvelous idea. It was really actually very sweet of these other children. And they came up and they said hi to her. And then they looked at each other and said, how many is that? And then they, <laughs> and then they moved on to the next person. And so the problem was, is it left her feeling... It was almost lonelier than if they hadn't come yes. because she was somebody, something on somebody's checklist. She was an obligation. She wasn't wanted for who she was, or they weren't really checking to see how she was doing and making a friend. And the children coming into our home, they are amazingly sensitive at picking up on all of these things. And no human wants to be somebody else's project. We want to be loved. We want to be wanted. We want the commitment. And yes, there are days that we do it out of obligation because, well, that's just life. Whether it's our exercise plan or whether it's parenting or whatever it is, there are days where um, we just have to be committed to doing what we committed to do. But overall, we need to want that child. We've seen a lot of couples give up on kids. When it got really tough because they were doing it out of obligation and that obligation did not give them the staying power and the sticking power Mm. that is needed to stay with that child through the ups and the downs and the hard days and the good days.
2: So when you think back, uh, you know, we often say that everyone enters foster care, um, naïve. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as, hey, let's keep the naive people out of foster care. We wouldn't have anybody <laughs> in foster care if we kept all the naive people out. Um, being naive is part of it, and we were naive. Um, when you think back to when we first started, and we, we started into foster care when we were 24 and 25, and um, what, what things, what false beliefs or motivations or things do you think we misunderstood when we first entered?
1: I think that I definitely, personally, I kind of have a, oh, if there's a problem, you fix it attitude, mm-hmm. that I can fix what's broken, that if the system's broken, I can help fix it. And there's something really good about that attitude, but there's also something very naive about it, that sometimes situations are just hard and decisions are going to be made that you can't fix. I can't send in enough reports for, I can't talk to enough people for I can advocate and advocate and advocate and things are done in the system that I don't think are best for children sometimes and I can't always change that and that's a really I think I see more foster parents leave because of that than almost anything
2: of of disappointment in the system and their yeah and disappointment in their ability to fix it or change it Yeah,
1: it's very powerless
2: so one last question when you're talking to a couple who's thinking through these things, and you've just presented them with a lot of these questions, that can be overwhelming, right? It can be sort of like, hey, this was already hard enough. And now I've got all of these things to sort out. Like, do I feel this way? And do I believe this? And how, you know, it can complicate things. What would you say to somebody who's listening to this podcast who might be like, okay, I was overwhelmed before. And now you're making me examine my heart, which is a you know, a tangled web of mess, (laughs) how do I move forward? How do I not get frozen?
1: Yeah. Nothing is ever one motivation. Nothing is ever perfect motivation. Um, When I think about, you you talked about naivety and going into marriage. I mean, who of us went into our marriages not naive, but we went in with a commitment, right? We went in with a commitment that we were going to love each other through sickness and in health and on, you know, we made these commitments and it's that commitment that sticks with it all. And that's what I would encourage couples. I think I would boil it down to, are you ready to be committed to doing what is in the best interest of a child? Not because they're your child's playmate, not because you wanted, you finally got the girl you always wanted, not because you finally got the child you always wanted, because it's really not about you. Are you willing to make this about the child? Because you're going to have to sacrifice a lot and change a lot because that's just parenting period, but especially parenting as a foster parent.
2: Yeah, and that's a great place to, to wrap up and it is an apt uh, comparison to to marriage and you know listening to podcasts like this or going to training we often equate to you know uh premarital counseling and we go uh when we're in premarital counseling you're like yeah 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 whatever it's you know we love each other it's going to be fine you know
1: none of those things will ever happen to us
2: none of them will ever happen to us (laughs) And, uh, and and the they value right, oh they have not, never. never have happened to <laughs> us and um, but the value of this kind of you know the, this podcast and the the training that you do is not that you get the answers and remember them and apply them forever it's that you hear things so that when you run into trouble later you know where to go back to and find answers when you're there because you will get there right um, but I. Uh, could not have a better uh, partner to go through uh, these last 23 years with and this journey with than you. And uh, as you all experienced who are listening, um, this is an incredibly wise woman who uh, brings life and light to our family. So thanks so much for joining us.
1: I think thank you for having me on.
0: Okay,
2: I'm just saying, that girl's brilliant.
3: Uh, (laughs) Oh, that's so cute, Jason.
2: I'm just just saying, man. How did it feel interviewing your wife? It was a little awkward at first. Oh, yeah? It was, well, (laughs) yeah, I was like, how's this going to go? I mean, I'm not used to, you know, sitting across, uh, you know, talking on a microphone to my wife (laughs) uh, like that. But, uh, yeah. That was was
3: pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I love it.
2: Yeah, and you know, I think she touched on some really uh, important things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you know, we can get hung up on, oh no, do I have the right motives or do I have the wrong motives? If I have the wrong motives, then I need to stop. Exactly. I think she did a really good job of helping us understand that it's just important to know who we are and where we are. Exactly. Being self-aware is the most important part of the process. Right. Because we can't work on things we can't pray through things that we don't see exactly and so it's just about taking the time to stop yeah.
3: and see most definitely
2: um most definitely. so yeah figure I, out
3: what's under the surface right i like one thing she said she said just love just love the kids for just who they are you know don't yeah. you don't have to try to change anybody just like however they come just love them for who they
2: are uh yeah. and that's powerful and that, that meant a lot to me so yeah yeah, yeah absolutely well, it's been uh, it's been good. Um, yes, good episode. We're so grateful to our guests, Joe Rogers and Trisha Weber, and we are grateful to you for listening. Thanks yes. so much for taking the time. Thank you, guys, uh, to listen to this podcast. We know that you're out there. Uh, you're making a difference. You're investing in the lives of others. You're praying for kids and families uh, in your church and in your community. And uh, we just couldn't be more thrilled about that. We couldn't be more thrilled about being able to be a little small part of the impact that you're making in your county. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Can you come and find us on the Facebook page? Uh, It's at our Foster Movement Podcast page. And if you want today's show notes, you can go to fostermovementpodcast.org. And if you'd like to explore more about the foster journey, you're thinking about um, foster parenting, or you work with a lot of folks who are thinking about foster parenting, we have a resource that goes along with this series of podcasts. It's called The Foster Journey, surprisingly enough. (laughs) And you can get that resource uh, either in a Kindle version, or you can order them in ministry packs of 10 or 50. And you can get that at CAFO.org slash foster movement. That's CAFO.org slash foster movement. So thanks for all you do to speak up for kids and families, and uh, we're here to help you do that yes. until there's more than enough.
1: This has been the Foster
2: Movement Podcast. Join Jason Weber and Diego Fuller next time as they and their guests help you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and
1: families in foster care where you live.
3: Hey, this is
2: Jason and Diego again.
3: Yes, and we're still here because there's a couple of things that we want you guys to know.
2: That's right. First of all, be sure to download the free PDF we created, especially for listeners of this podcast.
3: It's called Key Things Former Foster Youth Want You to Understand About Caring for Current Foster Youth. This thing is beautiful and full of wisdom and insight from those who've been there. And I'm telling you, you need to print these babies out and give them to foster parents and applicants you work with because these things are amazing.
2: Just go to morethanenoughtogether.org o-r-g backslash free download that's more than enough together.org backslash free download
3: also as you know the foster movement podcast is a limited series of just 18 episodes but listen it's okay don't be sad here's why because there's more where that came from tell them jay
2: that's right more than enough has produced a whole family of podcasts one of which is called the more than enough podcast
3: So to learn more, go to morethanenoughtogether.org and click on the podcast link at the top of the homepage, and they are all there.
2: Hey, and one last thing. Thank you for listening. It's a privilege to be a part of your journey. Our team is here to help you work with others in your community to provide for children and families before, during, and beyond foster care until there's more than enough.